podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. We are, for the most part, a reactionary society. If your neighbor has a break-in, you think about getting an alarm. If your buddy gets laid off, you say, I better buckle down at work. If banks start closing, you may want to ask yourself if you should keep most or all of your money in a bank. It may be time for a portfolio protection plan. It may be time to have a little personal gold reserve. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Welcome to the five-year plan podcast. That was beautiful. Oh, my word. That was uh, actually better than... I got feedback. That's how good it was. Well, you got feedback. I got very positive feedback. As you should. Uh, This is a very special and much-requested second AthletiPod that we are doing on the FYP podcast here with uh, Dom Firefield, Ed Mallion, and Matt Woosnam. From the Athletic, of course, covering uh, Crystal Palace. Why would you do another club? That would be stupid. Uh, and we're going to be putting your questions to the guys uh, and previewing the season, which starts in a matter of days, gentlemen. Um, and I don't need to tell you three or probably any of our listeners about the Athletic, but I'm going to you any, anyway because I'm contractually obliged to do so. There are world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace. Subscription-based website and app, completely ad-free. No ads, no pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, they are offering a new offer for FYP listeners of just £1 a month for the next six months and the option to cancel at any time. Go and have a look at that at theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP. And of course, this pod and doing it confirms that we are back in partnership with The Athletic this season, which we're delighted with. Right. Ed Malian. Hello. Calling all the way from Chicago. How are you? I'm all right. We've been busy. We've got uh, some new stuff that by the time this podcast is out will be launched. So some exciting new things. But yeah, I'm just uh, going on my first holiday since I joined the company next week. So hopefully get a palace win, get a few new signings and, and I'm off. Lovely. And can I say as well, well done for making Andy Street seem like he knew what he was talking about in the recent Messi pod. Uh, no, he's, was... uh, as, as you know, a terrific podcast guest. <laughs> he was very good. He actually managed to even make it uh, uh, understandable for someone like me, which is great. Um, so well worth listening to. There you go. Another plug. Seamless. Um, Dom Fifield. Hello. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. This is, this is like the third or fourth time I've seen you in the it's last become, few months. We're becoming Zoom regulars, aren't we? It'd be nice to actually see you in person <laughs> once in a while. Just, you know. It would be. It would be. Well, maybe we'll get to. Maybe we'll get to be in a football stadium together at some point. Who knows? Uh, and joining us, I haven't seen you for a long time, Mr. Matt Rosenham. <laughs> how are you? Very well, thanks. Yourself? Good. I'm not too bad. And I'm very surprised none of you have mentioned my ridiculous tash. You're all too, uh, way too kind. I've spent um, so many years insulting your appearance. It's just kind of lost all effect, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? That's exactly what Andy Street would say as yeah. well. It's just yeah. like having Streety on the pod. Right, lads. So we've got lots of questions from our listeners and lots of uh, bases to cover. Part one, we're going to talk about transfers. And then part two, 
kind of miscellaneous. And part three, if we've got time, we'll preview the season. First question here. Oh, before we do that, let's do a shout to a random patron. So can I get a drum roll, please? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you, can, you, can, you can stop. But that was great. Um, it's Mr. Chris Sturt. Oh, Sturt. Hey. Good old Sturkey, uh, and you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, first question here comes from Mr. Selhurst Exile, who says, FYP going three up front today. The question is, who out of Matt, Dom and Ed is the answer to our goal scoring problems? Well, you've seen me play at Selhurst, and while I have the coolest of heads from the penalty spot, uh, I, I guess that Matt can run around a little longer than I can. I was going to go I, I Matt as well. I, I definitely can't. I'm really unfit at the moment. <laughs> well, that leaves Mr. Firefield. So there we go. Congratulations. You are up front uh, for Palace. Speaking of being up front for Palace, Palace have signed a striker, which is a familiar face as well. Yeah. So Michi Batshuayi is back. Um, a bit of a surprise move, really, in as much as you only have to go back a week or so. And I don't think Palace thought they had any chance of getting him in on loan. The the noises from his camp were very much, it's a permanent move, preferably to a London club uh, and on very high wages or nothing. Um, but I, I think the, I think his failure to make the Belgian squad initially last week um, was a bit of a jolt for him and, and a bit of a reality check. He's entered the last 12 months of his previous contract at, at, at Chelsea um, and with Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and, Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud all ahead of him in the pecking order. There was very little chance of him getting any game time whatsoever at, at Stamford Bridge in the season ahead. So that's prompted a bit of a rethink. And, and the way it's worked out is uh, Marina Granovskaya at Chelsea has tied him down to a new 12-month extension, which pr- protects a bit of value as far as Chelsea are concerned. Um, and he has gone out on loan to Palace for 12 months um, with... An option to buy, but not an obligation to buy. So I think it's it makes a lot of sense. It, it, in some ways, it, it puts off. It's a, it's a short term fix. It puts off the whole. We need to address the striker issue uh, this window until until next summer. Um, but it was important and imperative that Palace brought in a, a natural goal scorer and and having effectively missed out and been priced out of Ollie Watkins and uh, uh, well and Odson Edouard amongst others this was the the best option available to them I'm delighted that he's back because I thought he was fantastic for us and uh, there was, I saw a video on YouTube the other day of his sort of skills and goals that all these like whiz kids put up when players you know, join clubs um, and he was really prolific for us and a very, very good player. So I think it actually makes a lot of sense, especially when it's someone that's been at the club and played with a lot of these players and been around the environment, settled in quickly. Um, yes, it's only a loan deal with that option at the end. Matt, obviously you've been covering Palace as well and been down at games for a while. It's a sensible move in that obviously he knows the club and he's fitted in before. Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, as Dom says, it, it was really important that Palace did bring in a striker. I mean, Roy Hodgson uh, said after the uh, the latest game um, that you know it, it was that the main problem was that they weren't converting their chances um, in it, every single one of the the preseason games. Bromby, um, oh sorry, Bromby, is it Dom? Um, yeah, Bromby, uh, Millwall, and Charlton. Uh, Palace have created actually more chances than than they have for a while, uh, but they just familiar story of of not scoring, not finishing them. So, you know, even though it did seem to work quite well 
um, with either IU up front with Wilf or with Jeffrey Schnupp up front with Wilf, it was clear that Palace needed to sign a striker and Mishi Bacciari is a very good option. It's right, Matt's absolutely right in as much as it, it, it suits him as well. He does know the club, he's popular within the dressing room, the manager knows him, he's comfortable using him. For for the player himself, it, there's going to be very little adaptation required. I mean, he, he, he can live at home and commute into the training ground in the same way that Conor Gallagher would have done had he signed from Chelsea on loan. Obviously, that, that interest has had to be curtailed now because we can only take one player on loan at any one time from a, from a rival Premier League club. But it's it's just it's, it's a type of move, the short-term fix that suits all parties given their particular needs at this moment. And we'll see in a, in 12 months' time if he's gone and scored 20, 25 goals for Crystal Palace. And, you know, they might be quite keen to make that move permanent. But, you know, if, the, if that doesn't quite work out like that, well, you know, they, they can explore their options again next summer. We've got a question from Chris Emmanuel, who is uh, a lovely man, and he says, Callum Wilson moving to Newcastle for a supposed 21 million has surprised many, especially as an England international and a proven Premier League goal scorer, something Palace desperately need. Why do you think Palace didn't go in for him? Is the transfer kitty running dry? Or are the question marks around his fitness stopping us and the bigger names uh, who were reported in, 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 in him? Is it simply a case, Ed, of the players like that are too expensive and the wages are too high and Palace have basically been priced out of the market. The thing with Callum Wilson is that he isn't really a proven Premier League goal scorer to any huge extent. Um, but also, I got I got a question this morning. I woke up, you tweeted, and um, it was like, get your questions in. And the last question I saw before I came on here was asking about why we don't sell players for money. Why we don't sell players for a lot of money. And if you look at a lot of the players that we've signed in recent seasons they are 26, 27, 28. And, you know, by the end of that first contract with Palace, they're not going to have much selling value. I think Callum Wilson's 28 years old. So if you go and spend 30-ish million on Callum Wilson now, 20, 30 million on him now, like what's the chance of you actually getting that money back at any point? That's that's going to be a completely sunk one. You know, that is one of the reasons I like Eze so much is if he plays as well as we think he can, then in four or five years' time, he's going to be worth double or triple at least, what we paid for him. So um, Callum Wilson, I'm not bothered about missing out on. Ollie Watkins was the one that I personally liked a lot, uh, and you can see that he's got a little bit of resale value given his age. But but Wilson, you know, he wanted big, big money. Um, a couple of years ago, he was trying to get, you know, move to somewhere like Tottenham, and it never happened. Uh, but for me, it's the age thing is why I wouldn't have touched him at, at that price tag. I don't know what anyone else thinks. Just on that Watkins thing, I mean, you, you're right in as much as a 23-year-old moving to the Premier League um, from a championship. He's never played in the Premier League at all in his in his career. You'd imagine that a player like that would have resale value. But for the, the deal that's been mooted, 28 million up front, rising to 33, I mean, is it realistic to think that he would necessarily... I mean, what's he got to, what's he, to get a profit on that? He's got to score 25 goals plus for the next three years, probably. It's, I mean, it's, it's sensational money that, that Villa are apparently prepared to spend on him. And it was something that Palace just couldn't get anywhere close to. I mean, just, that's too much of a risk. You know, like uh, a couple of years ago when Spurs were interested in Callum Wilson, when he had that really good season at Bournemouth, that, what, I think he's basically had one good season, right? Um, and they, Bournemouth essentially priced him out of a move because they were saying, you know, if we were to sell this guy, we would highly likely get relegated. Basically the same reasoning as Palace have with Wilf. Um, but you, have, you also have to know when to sell your players, right? You know, the Ollie Watkins thing, right? What if he does have a good season and then he's worth 60 mil? City and Liverpool are sniffing around. Villa tried to hold on to him. And then, you know, two years down the line, he, he scores seven goals in two years and then you can't, you can't shift him. So... 
part of the part of the frustration I think with um, with these signings are that I think people want to see ambition. They want to see us going out and spending money on proven players. But if you're buying proven players, you're paying for that, and you might not necessarily get that money back. Whereas I think a club in Palace's position, sorry, the dog just um, squeezed something. The uh, the play, clubs in Palace's position should be looking for me for players who are under 25. And if they do perform as well as they can, then you've got to sell them and move on. You've got to, you know, I think we saw Leicester do it. Leicester have done really well to sell players at the right time. Riyad Mahrez, um, Ben Chilwell now, you know, and others, and, and get big fees for them. And that's what Palace need to look to do if they want to close the gap on a club like Leicester, who five, six, seven years ago, I would have considered an equal of Palace. I think a lot of fans do actually want Palace to sign younger players, not necessarily young players, but younger. I mean, I think over the last sort of, I don't know, 18 months or so, that's become particularly something that people have been asking for Palace to do. Sign the, you know, sign the, the crop that are best in the championship, sign the championship's best players. And, you know, obviously Conor Gallagher looks like, you know, it's not going to happen because, you know, you're going to get Michi Bacchai in, but, you know, him, Nathan Ferguson, Ebrichi Eze, I mean, that's free. I mean, uh, you know, again, saying that, that Gallagher won't happen, but that they were targeting him. And then you've got, you know, interesting Flynn Downs from Ipswich and uh, Armel Belakotchap from uh, Bochum. You know, all of those are young players. I mean, obviously, uh, Ipswich in League One and, and Bochum in, in Bundesliga. But, you know, they're young players who Palace are targeting with potential resale value. It comes back to obviously that question about, you know, why don't Palace sell players? And these are the sorts of signings that you have to make in order to potentially sell them on in future for, you know, bigger money perhaps. But not necessarily that. I mean, even if they don't, you know, pay off, then in theory, as long as they do okay, then you're not really likely to lose that much money on them. I mean. I could take Max Meyer as an example. It would probably be not the best example, but you know, you sign Max Meyer on a Bosman, you know, whatever the signing on fee is. There's, you know, but ultimately, there's no transfer fee involved. He's 22, so he's now 24. Palace want to get rid of him. You know, ultimately, they would they would sell him if they could. But at the moment, nobody seems to want him. But it, you know, in in the event that somebody wanted him, you know. It, it, well, I mean, in the event that they don't get any money for him and he just ends up running down his contracts or Palace do, you haven't lost a lot of money there. But with someone like, say, Eze, the chances are that you're going to get your money back on him or at least not lose a significant amount because he's not going to be 28, 29 by the time you come to sell him unless he's done really well and, you know, maybe in the will situation. Um, so the likelihood of, of losing money on younger players is less than it is, obviously, on, on signing older players. But I, I, I agree with Matt's point that, you know, they, they've clearly been targeting the best players from the championship. You know, that's why there was interest in, in Watkins and perhaps other players at Brentford as well. And the, the risk that you run there is if they aren't good enough for the Premier League essentially. And, uh, you know, that, the risk with Eze, I think, is not that you lose money on him. It's that he can't step up and be good enough. Now, I haven't seen enough of the kid to know if he's going to be able to step up or not. But um, that's the risk that Palace are looking at rather than a financial one, in my opinion. It do, I mean, it does sound like from what QPR fans were saying when he went, um, that he is the real deal and, and, and 
hopefully will make the step up. But, you know, uh, Dom, on this pod, we've talked a lot about how Palace's squad is ageing in the last few windows. It's been players approaching 30 or over 30. It sounds like a concerted effort from Palace now to, to counterbalance that. And they, they are going for younger players. And as Matt says, with sell-on value. And, and it seems to be that they are actually sort of answering all those kind of complaints that people like us have had on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, they're revitalising the squad. That's um, A lot of people doubted that they were going to be able to, to do that in, in one window. And they, they, to be honest, they'll probably have to extend it over one or two. I mean, well, three probably, actually thinking about it, because next summer you've got an awful lot of senior players out of contract. Um, so it's it's a process, but they've they've kick started it. I think they they tried to do it in January. You know, we, let's not forget that we always go back to the Christian Kuame knee injury. I mean, he was a young player. He was a twenty one year old when when Palace tried to sign him. They thought they had that deal done. Nathan Ferguson was was going to join in in January as a teenager, and and as it is, that's been put back six months. And you know that, that will go to a tribunal um, to, to find out how much Palace have to pay for him. But it's a, it is a process, and it's something that at the moment it's it's, it's happening on two levels. There's a first team um, recruitment drive, which is highlighted by Eze and and, and Ferguson and now Batshuayi, um, and hopefully we'll have hopefully we'll have more fingers crossed. Um, and then there's this youth team recruitment that Matt's just mentioned there, which which is almost the next stage i mean it's it's to try and get some continuity within the club you only need one or two of those to those guys to thrive and and suddenly you've got players to step into you when, you know when your james macarthur's or your james mccarthy's leave the club you've got a few options on site so it, it is promising it is it's it's a strategy and it's it's being implemented very impressively so far it has to carry on until the fifth of october and i think they i don't think their ambitions will stop with with batshuayi but but the market is, as we always say, is difficult, and we just have to see what what comes out of it. Just on that previous point, I just, I just have to say the irony that I, I've, as a Palace fan who's, who's grown up watching the team sell its best players regularly every every year. I mean, from Ian Wright onwards, really seeing the sort of breakup of that couple team, and then virtually every decent player we ever had there, thereafter um, stayed with us for about ten minutes, and then and then left. It, it's it's strange now that we're getting fans complaining. And that we're complaining in some ways that we're not selling enough players. I mean, it's just it's just bizarre. But that that is the what I can under, completely understand why that's that's people are asking that, and it is it becomes a, a regeneration in itself um, economically. But but I think it's quite nice that we don't necessarily have to sell all our best players all the time. To be honest, I didn't like those days growing up when I woke up to see facts page three one two to find X and Y had been sold for next to nothing. You've aged yourself massively there with the C facts <laughs> reference. Nobody um, here in this uh, room whoa, 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 will understand. I do. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> come on, I, I, I go to three one two, maybe three o three. Look at the major headlines. Three one two, using briefs. I, I was there when we were signing Gabor Kirai on when it was on ITV. When ITV CFAX, the Premiership page six forty, was it something like that? Yeah, no, no one, no, no one, one read ITV, weren't they? No, 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 no. no. It's good because it useless. broke down the transfers by club. No, not you were the only ITV person keeping there. the ITV CFAX going. Know about the Kids these days guy. on the ITV teletext, unbelievable. <laughs> 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 I'm still paying off my club call bill from 1997. <laughs> uh, right, okay. Look, on, just on that. Just one final point on that. What I find interesting is you look at the responses to Roy Hodgson's press conference where towards the end of the season where he talked openly about how none of the names they had mentioned were older players. They were all younger players and nobody really believed him. 
And then obviously they went out and they actually did go out and, and do exactly that. They went for younger players. Because obviously Roy Hodgson, you know, people talk about Roy Hodgson as preferring older players. And, you know, that, that kind of is true. But equally, you know, as Dom has pointed out several times himself as well, you know, he, he was happy to play the likes of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Players have to be good enough and you know and as long as they fit in what he wants to do he doesn't have obviously doesn't have a problem with playing younger players I mean he didn't have too much choice but he gave Tyreek Mitchell a debut um, at the back end of the season he did okay and he praised him a lot um Aaron as obviously. well sorry Aaron as well when he had that opportunity yeah, yeah exactly and and Wan-Bissaka so I just found it interesting that nobody sort of really felt like that was going to happen I think probably also because it was such a you know depressing time um so everyone was kind of down about everything but it just goes to show that actually you know Palace have gone out and done that like he said they were going to I think yeah I think given the right options uh Roy will play well we'll see hopefully he will um, i think Eze's look good so far on on incoming last bit on incoming transfers got two questions here from at colin senior and peter howard and colin says how many more players do you think we'll bring in and peter has been even more forthright he said rank the strikers have been linked with in order of likelihood to join bats brewster watkins eduardo mateta does anyone fancy taking on those well, we've got bats <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, we've got that. So there you go, Peter. That's that's a tick. Well, I mean, rank them in terms of how much the clubs wanted to to, to pay for them. I mean, like if odds on it, they'd love to sign Brewster. I mean, I mean, but whether that's a conceivable for them to do, I mean, it's he's twenty, probably going to be twenty million pounds, and that's there'll be competition up and down the Premier League on that one. But but I mean, there has been interest there, and I think I think that's something that they would they would definitely push to do. They thought they could get him. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting one because he is one of the, the rare players I think that Roy has come out previously and said that he's been interested in, isn't it? You know, it's not often that he talks about players at other clubs like that. So the thing about um, Odson Edouard and who was it? Watkins, Mateta. I don't know. I didn't know. I never knew anything about that Mateta stuff. But um, Watkins, obviously, very talented player, but like out of the price range. And Odson Edouard, it seems, is going to go for, what, 35 at least. So, you know, it's all very well ranking them in, in order of how good they are or, or how likely they are. But the, the most likely thing is going to come down to financials with Palace most of the time. Well, but this is the thing, isn't it? Like, I think fans do see it like that, but they have to appreciate that there are so many variables in these things. It is finances, it is other clubs that come in, that, you know, these things are not straightforward. And I know that things can change day to day. One day it might feel like you're going to get a player and then things change and the next day you don't. So, What was the other part of the question? How many more players do we think we're, we'll be seeing coming in? I'll leave that to Dom and Matt. Well, well, Matt will know on the on the on the youth system um, signings. I mean, there are going to be a few of those, aren't there? Yeah. Um, fingers crossed. I think uh, I think both Bellacotcha, Armel Bellacotcha, and Flynn Downs. If they do arrive, they'll be later in the window. They'll be towards the end of the window. I mean, Flynn Downs has handed in a transfer request at Ipswich after they turned down two bids from Palace. Um, second bid is is believed to be around two million pounds. Um, <clears throat> I was told that Ipswich were holding out for four million pounds. I mean, their local media is saying that sources close to Mark Sevens are, you know, are saying it's more like eight million pounds. Um, I, I imagine it would be something like four million guaranteed with with add-ons. I think that would probably end up doing it. Um, particularly, would we given expect that, him in the first team at any point? No, I mean, not, not, is not he going to go out on loan? 
well, this is the thing. I mean, Brighton did it with Matt Clark. They signed Matt Clark and they sent him out on loan. I think they sent him out on loan again this season. Um, so either he plays development squad, but even at Category 1, I think someone who's played, you know, I'm not sure how many games he's played in, 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 in League 1, but you know, he certainly played a, a fair number of senior games. Someone who has played quite a few senior games, isn't really going to want to drop down into under-23 football, even at Category 1 level. So either Palace play him, maybe maybe Palace do play him a little bit in the under-23s and keep him around the first team. But I would also say Palace has got so many centre-mids, he's not really got much chance of, of pushing on and, and, and getting into that team, unless maybe they think he's that that good. But I think at the moment they would want to develop him probably by sending him out on loan. Good stuff. Okay, well, we'll see what happens there. Um, on out, last couple on outgoing transfers before we end part one and move on to our miscellaneous questions. We have a question here from Dave Manley, and uh, it's on Wilfred Zaha. We'll see which three of you wants to answer this one. He says, question for the Athleti pod. No letting them shirk it. Simply yes or no from each. In their opinion, will Zaha be a Palace player on October the 6th? Yes. Which year? <laughs> he hasn't put it. I'm going to assume 2020. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's no one who's going to stump up what, what Palace want for him. I, I, I've not really felt there was ever a suitor for him. I think the, the, the biggest chance he had of getting anywhere was probably somewhere like Everton. And I think the Hammers Rodriguez deal means that is absolutely no chance now. So uh, not for me. It's the same old, it's the same old issues with Wilf, isn't it? Money and uh, location and, uh, yeah, good. You know what? It might actually do. It might actually be quite an exciting time for Wilf to be at Palace next season. If 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 Eze hits the ground running, um, if Batshuayi is there to convert some some of the opportunities that he creates, uh, if there's a bit of competition up front, if if he's granted the free role and they they use others on the wing, he might actually quite like it at the club next season. It might actually be a lot more like the. The Palace team that at the back end of seventeen eighteen and eighteen nineteen, in which case he'd probably be quite content to stay. Yeah, or even uh, you know, kind of uh, Matt, Matt did a piece recently reminiscing about the Balassi Zaha on either flank. Um, like if Eze and Zaha are kind of roaming around causing problems, and Batshuayi or Ayu, you know, Ayu, let's remember his Player of the Year. If either of them can score the goals, and you have Eze and Zaha out there doing bits, uh, I believe is the term, then like. That is an exciting team. It's an interesting team. Uh, and I guess the hope has to be that that can keep us up by January again. Oh, dear. OK, well, we'll come on to a uh, season preview in a bit. I mean, and also, you have to probably assume that uh, Eze was promised playing alongside Wilf, you know, and these new arrivals will be promised playing alongside players like Wilf. So. In terms of formation, it, um, it, it looks to me like Palace are going to play 4 4 2 with Eze on the left of a four. Um, but essentially he will link up with Wilf. I mean, in that Charlton game where he played 45 minutes, he really did well linking up with Wilf down that left side. So whilst he may not be playing in the position up front with Wilf or as a number 10, you know, just behind Wilf, I think he will link up with Wilf down that left side. Palace will be a bit lopsided in that respect, but I think that will actually kind of suit Palace as long as he can you know, do his defensive work. But equally, I think the two centre mids will come back and, and drop and cover. 
So I think that's probably the partly why Hodgson's playing that system. I, I assume that's what Palace is going to play because that's what they did all pre-season, uh, and it seemed to work quite well. Um, so as long as so you know, as long as those two centre mids, which will be Luca and one other, I would personally put Jimmy Mack there. Um, and then as long as they come back and do their job well enough, then I think it will kind of alleviate any problems from any perceived lack of defensive solidity from Eze. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's the old Ruben Loftus-Cheek position, isn't it? And the formation we played when we had him and, and Kabai. And uh, I think it's about as expansive as, as Roy gets. But as you said before, when he's got the right personnel and it feels like we are starting to fill those gaps again, um, which is good. Last one on transfers. We've had a lot of questions about, in fact, most on any subject about Alexander Sorloth. And this this feels like an Ed question uh, because of the way that Michael Phillips has questioned it. And he says, Ed, simply, how much of a bollock have we dropped with the Alex Sorloth situation? Uh, I mean, it was, <laughs> it's been a ride. When we first signed <laughs> him, it was exciting because it was a striker that you've never heard of, uh, which is always the most exciting sort of transfer. Uh, he's young, like Scandinavian, looks kind of awkward uh, like me. So I was kind of thinking, you know, we've got this gangly Scandinavian kid who's going to be the next Stefan Everson, who I weirdly loved also when he scored that <laughs> great goal that kept us up against Preston. Yeah, header. something like that. Yeah. Um, and then scouted for us for a bit, didn't he? But yeah, like, you know, Sorloff, this great kid coming out. I had a friend who works for another club in the Premier League who said, this is a really good signing. Um, then I had a friend who worked for a club in a different country who said that this guy was absolute trash. And then for the next like kind of 18 months to two years, when he was on loan at Ghent scoring like four goals, uh, told me, you know, I told you so essentially on this guy. Then he goes off to Turkey. No one, like, I think no one wants to see Sorloth ever again. Think, thinks he's a bad signing. Then whatever happens, happens. Was it Traps and Spore he was at? Um, I, like, I have not kept up to date with what's going on with the Leipzig thing. I don't know if that's likely or not. That's probably one for Dom and Matt. But, like, it's just a, a shame how it turned out because it's not like Palace have had loads of depth at this point. You know, it's not like Palace couldn't have... My, I guess one of the things that has annoyed me about Roy for the last couple of years, is, you know, it's a tiny thing, is that he... I know he has, he has does give youth the chance and he has given youth the chance, but there have been obvious times when, like, you could give players an opportunity to show themselves. Um, and I think he could have done it a little bit more with Max Meyer. I think he could have done it a little bit more at the back end of last season with some young kids. And I felt like Soloth never really had the chance. Um, so whatever happens, happens. If we manage to make any money off him, great. But, you know, it's one of those where it's it's been and gone pretty much for Palace. And, and whatever happens, he will be leaving the club without playing for another game in red and blue. Yeah, does um, Dom and Matt, do either of you know what the situation is? Ben Hooker said, can someone explain the situation to me? I'm lost with Sorloff. I, I, I don't know the intricacies of the deal that was struck, I'm afraid, and the contract that was that was dealt with Trabzon Spor, um, other than the stuff that is out in the public domain. I'm, I'm told that if things go as well as they can for Palace, that they will actually end up making probably about eight to ten million pounds through his sale. That isn't the figure, the, the, the 26 million euro figure that's doing the rounds re- regarding RB Leipzig, but it's it's that with with loan fees over the years means that Palace have probably still made money on Alexander Serloth, not a massive, massive amount. The one thing I'd say about Serloth is nobody was complaining when he was loaned out to Trabzon Sport. I mean, nobody. There was He looked out of his depth, unfortunately. And yeah, you can argue that he has, wasn't given enough opportunities, but... 
<laughs> there weren't necessarily opportunities there. It's not as if Palace had, you know, had opportunities just to fling him in. They were, they were often struggling when he was at the club. I mean, at, at that period. Um, and they don't exactly have then, you know, it was, he was not picked for a reason. He was, he was, he was viewed on the training ground in training with, by people who were close to him and saw what he was actually offering up and it wasn't good enough. Now, it may be that he's a huge confidence player and that going to Turkey and bullying some defenders and then getting on this incredible scoring run. And he has done phenomenally well, don't get me wrong. He's done well for Norway as well, albeit Northern Ireland, um, uh, but we just didn't see that at Palace, and I, I and it's, it, I, it doesn't feel to me. Well, I might be proved wrong when he when he starts going on our you know Harland runs in the next few years. But at the moment, it doesn't feel to me like a massive, massive mistake by the club. It's it's just sometimes things don't work, and this one didn't. Yeah, I agree. I feel like you're talking about my past relationships there for a second. But um, l- listen, let's. That's the moustache, Jim. <laughs> the moustache is new, and currently. <laughs> Still married, but <laughs> we will. I'll update it's a you. Long on that. podcast, man. <laughs> right. Let's take a break there. After the break, guess what? More questions. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast. Hey. I thought it was the Athleti Pod. It's Athleti Pod. Mm. It's the FYP yeah, podcast, sorry, hashtag yeah. Athleti Pod, um, with Ed Malley and Dom Fifield and Matt Wisdom from The Athletic. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can still get a seven day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. Plenty of excellent coverage of Palace there and other clubs and other sports as well, American sports, if you're into that kind of thing. Right, uh, we've got some more questions here from our listeners. We, I, we've got a question here. I'll go to Matt for this one because I know you've been watching Palace in preseason from PC Wires, and he's um, big uh, regular listener, very nice guy. He's a bit worried about preseason. He says, despite the positive displays and results in preseason, I have lingering doubts. For all the attacking flair against Charlton, we didn't manage to find a goal until the second half when Charlton made numerous subs, and despite dominating against Bromby. Or Brombu, as you said earlier. We were unable to find a second goal that would have rendered Brombu's eventual uh, inevitable equaliser. What's your take on pre-season? Am I worrying over nothing? I completely understand the concern. Um, I kind of thought similar in a way, I suppose. Um, Obviously, it was pretty obvious that we needed a striker. Um, The game against Charlton, he's got an entirely valid point that we didn't score until... Excuse me, but Palace didn't score until Charlton made a bunch of subs and brought a bunch of kids on. Um, you know, that, that's a fair point. Um, but I, I think it is a bit of a, a, a worry over, uh, you know, an excessive worry, um, especially now that, that you know, Michi Bacciari is here as well. Um, I think 
it's hard really to to judge preseason accurately because it is especially this kind of preseason. Um, you know, you're playing against Millwall and, and Charlton, and, and then you know playing against Bromby. So you're not playing necessarily the sort of teams that that you would in other you know, situations. You don't, and I know it's the same for every team, but you also sort of don't get that kind of intense preseason training either. Um, but I just think the good thing was the number of chances created as well. People obviously understandably and rightly talk about Palace's lack of goals and it was the worst goal scoring season in the club's history last year. Um, Although technically, if you want to get technical on the goals to game ratio, it was not quite as bad, but um, no, we don't. We don't like technicality. (laughs) (laughs) We like passion and opinion, Um, even if it's wrong. But um, no, I think the fact that, that but last se- what, what my point is that last season we didn't Palace didn't really create as many shot good chances. I mean Jordan Ayew, you know, I, d- I don't know how many people listening tend to go with expected goals or not. I used to hate it, but I've kind of come round to the idea of expected goals. Mm. Um, You're Jordan opening Pandora's box here, Matt. I think even exceeded his expected goals ever so slightly, um, but. As a team, you know, we didn't create a lot of chances, good chances last season. Um, I think the formation change will make a positive difference as long as obviously it works. But I think on the basis of pre-season, I would err on the side of positivity. Um, But yeah, I think completely understand the concerns around not scoring. But I think we created more chances in pre-season, played well, generally speaking, it's just about the final third. And I think Michi will help to solve that both himself and help others. Because it also takes a bit of pressure off Saha and off Eze. I mean, Eze coming in potentially takes a bit of pressure off Saha. And then Michi coming in potentially helps again in that respect. If I wasn't calling this pod the Athletic Pod Part 2, which I am, I would call it erring on the side of positivity. I think that's <laughs> an excellent title for a podcast. Um, and that's good. That, I think you have put a nice positive spin on, on pre-season. I tend to not really pay much too much attention in pre-season normally. But um, it, you're right. If we're creating more chances and we've added a proven goal score onto that, well, to me you know, as a layman and not a football expert, that sounds like the right things, the way to do things. Let's move on to another question from, well, a few. Patrick D. Stone, Jack Pierce, and Wilson at the unused sub. Oh, Max Myers got a Twitter account. Um, who are all asking questions about Roy Hodgson. Uh, Patrick says, are we seeing the semblance of a plan for the future? With Hodgson signed up for one more year, but bringing in some younger players to the squad including a number we won't play, to entice a new manager next season. Jack Pearce says, if we'd had a typical pre-season length, not the short one, do you think Roy would still be manager? And Wilson says, how are the club going about finding Roy's long-term successor? Is there anyone on the pod who would like, the pod would like to be seen given the job, aside from the logical appointment of Deitch? Um, Dom, I know this comes up a lot when we talk on the pod, Jack's point is interesting. It has been a shorter preseason, so I'm guessing that means anything around this discussion probably shelved for 12 months. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, don't forget that Roy did sign a 12-month contract extension in March. So, I mean, I think that that discussion was probably shelved back then. Um, I mean, okay, then there was a dreadful run post-lockdown, but which 
which did leave things strained on on certain levels. I mean, not least amongst the, the fan base, but I think within the club as well. But I think more than anything, that that seven match losing streak probably just reinforced the, the reality that Palace needed to enter the market with a vengeance um, and and give Hodgson some options. I just think I think I suspect that Roy just looks at it. He probably went on way on holiday thinking. Just get me some players in. I don't care who they are. Just get me some players in. Um, I can't. He can't go into the season with Christian Benteke and Connor Wickham as his two, you know, front lone forwards up top, and Jordan Ayew, who I think when he came to Palace wanted to play wide. I mean, it's it's it, he needed he needed bodies. He needed people in in the building, and and you know they've done that, and they're they're doing that. So. So I suspect he's 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 feeling more appeased and, and and more at ease going into the new season as well. well that said, and I suspect we'll come, we'll come on to a, Sal- a Southampton preview at some point. I mean, we shouldn't forget that he's going also going into the season with seven long term injuries. Um, so the squad doesn't actually look that much bigger at the moment. It will do if they all get fit and when they all get fit. But at the moment, it's it's still it'll still be stretched for the foreseeable future. With regards to what happens after Roy. At some point this season, there'll have to be a decision, and it won't be one that they can. It won't be one that they can uh, put off until the summer. They'll have to start planning. Really, once they've got a good indication of a which division they're going to be in, um, b whether it's going to be a super superbly successful season. In which case, you probably qualifying for Europe. Roy Hodgson is not going to leave, so you're probably then thinking about giving him another year. It, it, the alternative is you're just sort of treading water and 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 things aren't working. Then okay, then as long as you're safe, you can think about a change next summer. The fourth option is obviously less appealing for Hodgson, in which case we were in trouble from the outset. And and like any manager out there, he'll find himself under un, under pressure. But they'll have their targets. That there that there is long-standing interest in Sean Dyche. There's also a very good younger manager that's currently out of work after leaving Bournemouth at the end of last season. That might become an option at some stage, possibly after Christmas, um, if he wants to get back into into Premier League management. So yeah, it's not something that I'm particularly worried about. I just I just really hope that Roy Hodgson gets a gets the team uh, off to a really good start and there's there's some more positivity around the place and we're we're looking up rather than rather than down the table oh good well if you're not feeling too bad about it i'm not feeling too bad because you are very much my barometer dom of how to feel about palace but not beards (laughs) (laughs) is your pedometer 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 but but because barometer this is why we sent you to chicago ed this is why we sent you to chicago yeah, that's definitely all getting cut. Um, <laughs> I actually, Ed, I've got a question here, actually, from Hadley C. Smith. And this is a, actually a point that I've been thinking about in pre-season as well. And he says, is this season going to be the true emergence of Riedewald as the CM engine of the team? I know Matt earlier said that his two centre mids would probably be Luca and Jimmy Mack. But Riedewald has had an excellent pre-season and, and got a lot of game time. What are your thoughts on Gyro? I mean, I, I think he's obviously... A very good player, technically. Uh, I, I think he isn't a left back. I think we saw that um, when I had, well, who, I can't remember when it was that he, there was an injury. He came in for a couple of games, and his positioning just wasn't quite right. Um, he's a talented player, technically quite skilled. Obviously, has spent what two or three years buried um, after the Frank de Boer experiment failed. Um, but I, I liked what he did when he came into the team. I think the problem is we've got. 
probably like what, four or five centre mids who could play alongside Milivojevic in, in the middle there. Um, like Matt, I would also have James MacArthur first because um, if he was Spanish, he'd be worth £50 million. Pounds. Um, James, James MacArthur. James MacArthur. James MacArthur. James McCarthy, I thought, actually did great at the end of last season. When Palace were losing all those games, he actually did play well. Um, one of the few who did, Cheku Koyate, as I said, seemed to be used more as a centre-back as the season wore on. Um, I must be forgetting at least one central midfielder. Uh, who's that? Schlapp. He's not a central midfielder. I don't know what he is. He's a left... I, I, I think Schlapp is... He plays left... His best position is left in a three-man midfield. Yeah, I, I, or left in a Hodgson four, I think also works because he's a shuttler, isn't he? Um but I think Riedewald has a place in this squad. I think he can do some stuff. I just don't know how he... I, I can't see his path to significant starts unless there are some injuries. Um, I may be overlooking something in his game, but like, you know, I think he could play as a ball-playing centre-back in the right team. I think he could play on the left of a midfield three or at the base of a midfield three. I don't know where he would slide into the Roy Hodgson midfield four. Um, given the options available to Roy, unfortunately. Nice player, though. Yeah, the Hodgson 4 sounds like a sort of skiffle band from the 60s, <laughs> doesn't it? Or some barbershop quartet or something. The Hodgson 4. It, is, it, you know, it isn't quite similar to... I think someone mentioned Daesh. It is a little similar to how Daesh sets his teams up sometimes. But the, the wide players in, a, in Roy Hodgson's midfield tend to be more like the old-fashioned like Argentine... Carolero, you know, like the, the diamond midfield, the two guys that just get up and down, up and down. The only difference is you don't have a guy at the point of the diamond, it's two, two setting midfielders. So, unfortunately, that isn't really a Jaro Riedewald situation. Like he was brought in to play on the left of a back three, um, which is certainly not a formation we're going to see anytime soon from Hodgson. So, um, I'd like to see Jairo do well this season. He's definitely going to be part of the squad, it seems, uh, unless one of you guys knows better. Um, but I just can't see a path to loads of game time for him, unfortunately. Okay, uh, final two questions. Uh, I've got one for Matt here about Scott Banks, and I've got one for Dom about uh, Fergie, uh, Nathan Ferguson. Uh, John Walker, Matt, says, any word on how Scott Banks is shaping up, likely to be loaned out again or developed with the under-23s? And I want to add into that that I saw an excellent video from training where he did a rainbow kick oh, over yeah. the defender or the goalkeeper or something. It was, it was spectacular. Any, any latest on him? Um, I'm not too sure exactly what will happen with him. Um, I think ideally Palace would like to loan him out. Um, you know, I think in, in the sense that they would like him to get match experience. Um, he hasn't really played a lot of games at a, a sort of higher level. I mean, I think at Clyde they were semi-professional. Um, I don't think they were a professional club. Um, so he hasn't really played sort of, you know, he had to adapt to that sort of professional training. His physicality isn't there yet. He's a very good technical player, but he's not physically sort of built yet. But equally, I think it would do also, you look at sort of some of the younger players that have been in the in and around the first team, um, you know, Brandon Pirick, Nia Kirby, uh, obviously Tyreek Mitchell, Malachi Boateng, uh, John Kamani Gordon. Um, it, it seems to me that Palace are not going to loan out their younger players this season and also if you look at um the under 23 squad they've got a squad almost entirely full of trialists um you know uh, as it stands i mean half of those players i mentioned will drop back 
probably when when players are fit, those players will will drop back into the twenty threes and you know and, and train with the first team. Um, but I think Scott Banks would be probably end up being one of those players that sits into the uh, into maybe does play twenty threes games at cat one level. That you know he's probably the kind of player who you know having played at, at, at Clyde, you know that. I can't think. It's like I think it was the third division or, or the second division of yeah. I think it's the third division of Scottish football. Um, I think he would actually have some benefit from playing Category One um, football at under twenty three level. It's not ideal, but you know he's not at the point where you have to play him in a first team. You can't play. There's no benefits playing him in an under twenty three game. He's not like a twenty two year old where he's played against men for five years and you know on loan and, and you're sticking him in the, the the 23s. I think he can have some benefit from playing 23s and training with the first team. Um and you know maybe he even gets on the bench at times. I'm, I'm not saying he will, but you know potentially if he does well then there's that possibility. Palace aren't exactly going to be blessed with options out wide even with the signing of Ebrichieze. Um so I think you know He's probably going to be the sort of player that, that does end up in the 23s, uh, but training with the first team a lot. There's there's a an interesting quirk about this season, um, given that it's five weeks shorter and you've got the same number of games. Um, and that has meant that Premier League clubs are having to play a lot more midweek matches. Um, Palace as a club are not used to playing midweek matches in the Premier League, and we all remember the two, you know, the one 0 home defeats to Barnsley on, Barnsley on a Tuesday night in the in the Championship. But but nobody in this current Palace setup really can sort of relate to that. So it's going to take a lot of adjust, adjustment for in terms of um, training sessions and 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 when you can train intensely and when you have to just do recovery work with the first team. And and the, the reality of that is those players who are playing regularly and we all know that Roy likes to stick with set numbers um will have to basically spend their weeks in recovery in preparation for the next game particularly if they've got a midweek fixture but those the squad the, the fringe players the substitutes the unused subs those that come on for 5 10 minutes here are going to need intense training and and to to conduct an 11 versus 11 intense training session at Beckenham, you're going to need a lot more 23s to come across the road and make up the numbers and and be part of that. And I think this is happening across the board in the Premier League. I don't think it's just Palace. I think I think if you look at all the stats for the the number of loans that have gone out, apart from Chelsea and you know Man City and the the, the huge clubs, uh, there aren't that many that are happening. They're they're well the numbers are well down on this this stage of last season's transfer window, and and I suspect it, it is born of finance finances to a certain extent that clubs can't afford them necessarily lower down the, the pyramid but but certainly these club premier league clubs are realizing they need bodies around the place just to if not to get on the bench just to make sure that training for those fringe players is intense enough that's very interesting good well we'll see if scott banks can ever play and open his account and there'll be plenty of interest in seeing him do that good come for the jokes stay for the football chat um Last question here then is uh, to you, Dom, or anyone that fancies it. It's from Will Luck. He says, any idea how long till Ferguson can be considered for a start? Uh, It won't be. I think Palace is, again, like most clubs, they like their players to do about six, five, six pre-season friendlies to get up to scratch and you sort of build up your, your minutes through that period so that you're, you're ready to hit the ground running in the first fixture. 
Um, Nathan Ferguson hasn't done any. He wasn't involved against uh, Brentford B today, was he? So, so he he's got to be a long way off match fitness. Uh, that injury was a serious injury. It wasn't. It's amazing that that it hadn't been picked up. Let's put it like that at, at his previous club, and that he was that he was he was a he was told that he that, you know if he hadn't gone undergone, undergone the surgery, he would have probably been in the team the weekend after returning to West Bromwich Albion. And it's it's just staggering really when you think about it it's it's he's had proper an intricate surgery on a, on on his knee he's going to need a proper time just to just to get fully up to scratch but there isn't any rush we know Joel Ward um what, what Joel Ward offers he's utterly reliable he's a palace store he loves the pod I mean there's there's everything to like about him so uh, they'll they'll just make sure that that Ferguson is completely completely ready before he's anywhere near that first team Good, good. Okay, and we are completely ready to take a quick break and then come back after that and do a preview of the new season, which starts imminently. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the final part of the five-year plan. Hashtag AthletiPod. Hey! Well, oh, come on, you guys. Yeah, sorry, I, I was on mute. I was on mute, wasn't that I? That was a time <laughs> delay, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's fine. We'll take it. It's uh, Right, so the new season kicks off in a, in a couple of days. There really hasn't been much uh, break between, it doesn't feel like it anyway, between last season and this season. It's come around very quickly. Um, Ed, I'll come to you first. Uh, I am going to ask the three of you by the end of the pod where you think Palace will finish this season. So have a little think about that. But before that, Summer Hayes, Summer Hayes MTB44 on Instagram, has said, I think this will be our hardest season so far in the Prem. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, worse than being relegated multiple times <laughs> like, like uh, maybe since know. coming back up maybe since 2013 if it's if it's a really bad season i can only assume that a, a few things have happened including a, a serious zaha injury now we've had a season with a serious zaha injury and somehow still survived that so i i, I can see why it would be miserable if there were no fans in the stadium and everyone was just streaming these really bad games played out in front of no fans and Palace were losing and maybe getting key players injured or something. I am more optimistic about this than I was about last season, if I'm honest. Uh, partially because, you know, for me, one of the things is that like, and we, you know, we've got a lot of international fans and, and a lot of people who, so like we got the game this Saturday, I'm waking up 9am to watch that. I just want to watch a, a fun, exciting game. I want to watch a game where Palace are going to try stuff. And there were times last season when if Palace were kicking off at like 6.30 a.m., you'd think, uh, maybe I'll just catch the second half, like whatever. Like, you know, it's not like they're exciting to watch. 
Eze, Batshuayi, Zaha as a front three, for me, is going to be way better than anything we saw last season. So, um, you know, I don't think lightning strikes twice. I don't think Jordan Ayew can be what he was last year. But Palace have gone out and they've got exciting attacking players. And pretty much every transfer window we will ever have, all I will want us to do is buy attacking, exciting players. Um, so I don't think it's going to be that bad. Um, I think there are there are struggles ahead. You know, we talked before about how the risk with buying players from the championship is whether they can step up. And um, without going too much into Roy's future, like when we replace Roy Hodgson, we have to take a gamble on someone and hope that they can kind of provide the stability and upward momentum that Roy has provided. But until that moment happens, um, I feel fairly confident in Roy's ability to keep Palace in the Premier League. And I think there will be more exciting football on offer this year than we've had probably in the last 18 months or so. Yeah, I tend to agree with that, actually. And I think, as I said in part one, that the transfers are key to that and they are going for a, a younger, fresher, more exciting approach. Dom, I have seen, actually, in a lot of season previews in various publications, a lot of people tipping Palace for 18th and 17th place in the tables. A lot of them were written, I think, before Michi turned up. But a lot of people seem to think Palace will struggle this season. Is there any reason behind that? Or is it simply that, as Ed says, players have got to prove themselves, or is it simply because it's written before we've had a proven striker arrive? I, I think journalists are on uh, hiding to nothing when they have to supply these season previews before the end of the transfer window. It was always a complaint I had over the years doing them at the Guardian. Um, it's, it's, you know, it can all change. The, compl- the complexion of it all can change in the last week of the window. It, the last day of the window, it can all change. So it's very difficult for them. If, if you if you're if you were judging, if you're writing a preseason. Pre, sorry, a, a, a season preview that went out, say, two weeks ago um, when Palace's only business, incoming business had been Nathan Ferguson, who had injured right back uh, on the basis that we had a really old squad that lost seven on the bounce post-lockdown and there are not going to be any supporters in the stadium then when, when the season starts. And I think it's perfectly natural to assume that Crystal Palace might be might struggle. But I'm completely with Ed in, in this is... Roy Hodgson knows what he's doing. Um, he will get a song out of these players. He's now got some attacking flair that he can use. It it will be more exciting than than last season. And 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 even last season, when okay, the goals goals didn't flow and it, it, some of the football was a bit stodgy. And, and um, but they were still safe in February. I mean, we've never done that before. Yeah. Safe in February. Yeah. It's remarkable. Um, so it's it, it, it would take a something quite significant for them to suddenly be to become a certainties for for relegation and and, and i think there's too much now in that squad and now uh, some sort of unpredictable excitement and pizzazz going forward uh, which just seems like a nice blend Tom didn't want to call out his current employer jim um but we did a we did a thing where we aggregated everyone's uh predictions for the season and then divided them all up and i have the, the spreadsheet in front of me Okay. So, including all athletic writers, Crystal Palace were predicted to finish 17th, just above Aston Villa, West Brom and Fulham. Dom Fifield predicted Palace to finish 14th. Oh, wait, well, this is meant to be confidential. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. So, uh, another anonymous person on this call predicted them to finish 15th. And then an anonymous person based in America predicted them to finish 13th because, you know, I'm a positive bloke. So, uh I think that what we can say for sure is that us three are higher on Palace's um, 
chances for this year than the general populace of uh, football journalists. I ran a poll. Um, I ran a poll at the, on the eve of pre-season. So, uh, you know, literally the eve is in the evening um, that pre-season got underway. Um, and uh, that conclusion, that concluded on the Friday, which I think by then Eze had either signed or was close to signing. Um, but 77% of people who responded out of 1,200 votes said that Palace would finish bottom half or get relegated. Uh, 23.6% said that Palace would get relegated. I will run that poll again upon the closure of the transfer window. I suspect the results will be a bit different, but mainly in that people probably fewer people will hit the relegation um, option. And more people go sort of bottom half, I think. Yeah, I think I think the the positions. I mean, you guys have answered my final question there. Positions wise, I think the positions you've picked thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I think it probably is about right. You know, if you, if if I would increase my position now with the would you? It's set in stone now. You can't do that. <laughs> what would you it's say now then, Matt? Spreadsheet. Thirteenth, <laughs> um, I think. Fourteenth, thirteenth, or fourteenth? Yeah, you're trying to copy me and Dom. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's fair. It, but it, as you say, it's one of those seasons where if we get off to a to a flyer and as they hits the ground running, I mean, it could even be you know better than that. But I think we'll be we'll be in and around that. Let Let's end the pod really quickly then with the Southampton preview for this weekend. Football is back. Um, we. Obviously, Eze's done 45 minutes in pre-season, then has been away. We've seen Kiate as one of our main centre-backs alongside Scott Dan. Uh, obviously, Mitchie's only just arrived, so hasn't played. So, Matt, what are we expecting the starting lineup to be? Is is it essentially the same team that played the, the Bromby game? I would imagine so, yeah. I think it'll be that 4-4-2 formation. Obviously, Guaita in goal. Um, you know, I... He was outstanding actually against Bromby. I thought um, made some really good saves. Um, you know, not surprised to anyone who's watched him in the last year. Um, you know, obviously Tyreek Mitchell at left back. People, some people have said they, you know, they got concerns over him at left back. I can understand that. You know, he hasn't had an outstanding preseason, but I think he's done okay. And I think you know, you've got to weigh that up. Of you've got to weigh up the you know the potential for developing him and the experience that he's going to gain with, say, putting someone like Riedewald or Schlupp there, people have said, Schlupp, I just can't believe that anyone will put Jeff Schlupp at left-back now. Um, you know, I, I don't think that he's someone who would make loads of mistakes that that maybe Gyro Riedewald wouldn't. Um, and then, obviously, as you say, Kiate um, has filled in at centre-back. I don't see that changing. Um, obviously, Tomkins and, and Sakai and Cahill are still out with injury. Um, so you know, set about partnership is obvious, and and again, Ferguson's still out. Um, I suspect maybe if Eze is is involved, obviously, I, I imagine that will be from the bench. So um, up front, I would imagine it would be um, what Wilf and are you up front? Um, probably Townsend on the right. Um, I mean, Luca came on at, at half time against Brombo and played forty five minutes. Um, Nearly scored, of course, um, but I would think he'll probably end up on the bench. So obviously, MacArthur um, in 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 centre, um, and then what? My memory's crap. Who was on G- the left? It was Gyro. Um, Gyro's been playing alongside yeah, him Gyro. in the middle. Yeah, sorry. Gyro. Yeah, he played. Yeah, he's, as you say, he's had a good preseason. So I think it'd be weird if if you didn't put him in. Um, so yeah, I think. 
I think that's likely to be be the team. Um, what and then Schluppy on the left instead of instead of Eze. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, I think that's probably fair enough given uh, how preseason's gone. And um, guys, you've you've left me feeling very positive. Thank you about the season so far. And we, we've covered a lot of bases today on this FLFT pod. So thank you very much. And as I said at the, the top, much in demand after our first pod altogether last season. So thank you for coming back on. And, and maybe we can try and do these a bit more sort of semi-regularly this season. Because as I said, we are partnering with The Athletic again this season. We're doing every other pod this season. Uh, so that means we'll still be uh, doing coverage of Athletic articles um, and hopefully getting you guys on again, if, if you'd like to come on again. Love to talk yeah, and we've got, you know, as I said earlier, we've got some new stuff that should be launched by the time this podcast comes out. Um, and all I can really say about it is just that it's going to be a much easier way to interact with people like Dom and Matt and ask them questions about uh, ingoing transfers and outgoing transfers and all the other questions that uh, you've been inundated with all day, Jim. So, yeah, we'd love to. Uh, you know where I am. I basically will not be moving until uh, this country works itself out. So uh, I'm always free. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, you will be there for the foreseeable. Um, guys, it's been lovely to see you again. And thank you very much for joining us. And of course, if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP for a new offer for FYP listeners of just £1 a month for the next six months and the option to cancel at any time. That's at theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, if you're a patron, Patron, the post-match pod will be with you after the Southampton game at the weekend. And then the main pod will be here next week. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy football returning. And we'll see you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.